the Lord amongst the people of God this morning. All right, we can turn to uh, Exodus chapter 24 and uh, we're going to read from there in a moment. Kind of, uh, I was thinking the best way to kind of illustrate what I want to uh, minister on and I'm not a, a fan of roses. Well, I mean, I've given them to my wife occasionally, got to do all those things. But when I say a fan, I mean people that like to have a rose garden like Ella, for example. Um, but, uh, uh, but for those that do love roses and rose gardens, they love the springtime. They put in all the effort, they do the pruning, they do all the preparations and then uh, you know, it comes time and, and then the rose appears and opens up and you know, the beauty and the smell. You look forward to that each year, right? And, you take, and it's only short-lived really in the context but you take the time to just smell the roses and how sweet and wonderful it is for those that invest that time and have that passion. And so in light of the issue that I want to consider with you this morning, it's a bit like that in terms of uh, as we consider uh, what we're going to consider the glory of God, the glory of God. When you just take the opportunity just to kind of just look at it and see it in the word of God and just to smell the roses and see uh, God's glory that is manifested right throughout the Bible and as you just take the time just to meditate upon it and appreciate God in all of his glory, then we come to that place where we say to ourselves that how wonderful it is. So uh, it's the glory of God that we want to consider uh, over, uh, well, not just today, but over the next two weeks because really it's such an exhaustive topic when we just say the glory of God. I mean, from the book of Genesis right through to the book of Revelations, it's littered. The glory of God is just everywhere. And it is so exhaustive that it is beyond our scope to consider it in that, in that, in that manner. But nevertheless, uh, as I began to prepare this, I realised, well, it's going to take me at least, at least more than one message to encapsulate the thought that I want to share with us this morning. And so we'll look at this over the next two weeks. Uh, I think we'll conclude it next week, God willing. But um, uh, we want to uh, just look at the glory of God and smell the roses as such. And I want to identify uh, the glory of God. I want to track it through Scripture to the degree that we will. And I want us to identify with God's glory. I want us to see God's glory. I want us, amen, to experience God's glory. And, uh, and so, because it's multifaceted. There's so many aspects when we, when we use this phrase and term, the glory of God, as it relates to the nature of God, as it relates to the, pur- the purpose of God in relation to us as individuals, as his people. And so the glory of God is a glorious thing to consider. Amen. Now, in the creation, in the first instance, the glory of God was, uh, uh, in a sense, manifested in the creation in a perfect manner. You could just picture the purity and the, uh, 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 of the glory of God that was manifested right there in the Garden of Eden amongst Adam and Eve uh, to see God's glory, to see the, uh, Him in His fullness, to have Adam and Eve walk with God and fellowship with God as we've considered in recent weeks, we would have seen the glory of, of God in its purest and magnificent manner and form that is God Himself, praise the Lord. 
But you see, we know that that was lost. We know that through sin entering the world, that that glory was diminished. That glory was withdrawn to the point where Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. And so all of a sudden, the glory of God that was in, uh, is associated with the heavens and the earth in its original creation, all of a sudden now, is non-existent. Is, uh, that man is alienated from God. They're alienated from the presence of God. They are, they are distant and, uh, and withdrawn from the glory of God. And that sets the tone of, um, of the condition of men, the condition of the earth itself. But it also sets into play a plan and a purpose of God to reveal and manifest His glory. Amen? And that we can track that through the Scriptures. We can see that and identify it. And as we do that, you just begin to appreciate God more and more. His plan, His purpose, His person, His attributes, the glory. And we stand in glorious uh, adoration of such a wonderful God this morning. And so the glory of God is something that is... Uh, uh, being continually manifested before us. Actually, as um, Sam was pointing out in relation to the restoration of God in his plan and purpose, when we consider the glory of God, we will also see (coughs) that um, uh, it is also associated with a restoration because that which was lost, God is restoring and there we will see yet again a manifestation of, that is uh, continually building and being in, uh, instructed to us and revealed to us in the Scriptures. And so that restoration of the glory of God in creation and in man is being fulfilled before us as we speak. Praise the Lord. But you see, Jesus himself is an embodiment of that glory. When we consider the person of Christ, when we consider God incarnated, in the, that, that Jesus, the Bible says in John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, we beheld His glory. We, be, we beheld the glory of the Father. And so, you see, they, they, they beheld the glory of God as they saw it manifest in Christ Jesus. God Himself. The glory of God was on display. We beheld His glory. And that word beheld means that that it was on display. They looked into it. They saw Him. They saw God. And so we want to behold the glory of God this morning. This is my intention, that we would see Him, that we would behold, that we would look into and grasp and be in awe as well of the glory of God that we find revealed to us throughout the Scriptures and throughout the Bible. And more than just seeing it, amen, we will identify with it and above all, it is our experience. Praise the Lord, the glory of God. Let's read our text and there's a, uh, <clears throat> there's a bit of a reason why we will start here, but let's look at Exodus chapter 24 and we want to read from verse 15 through to 18. Uh, this is where... God is meeting with Moses and the children of Israel after bringing them out of Egypt. And so we have Moses going up onto Mount Sinai. 
verse 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You see, there's a reason why I've chosen this particular text and really it was, uh, it was out of this text that, that I was uh, inspired because not only does this passage begin to reveal to us the glory of God, it shows us that, that uh, what we have here is God revealing his plan and purpose and intent because as we have already established, the glory of God was lost. The glory of God had been diminished through sin, the earth had been cursed. The, the creation itself was subjected, as the Bible says. Man now has, uh, is under a curse. And so everything has changed. The glory of God has departed. And so God, here in this instance, uh, is manifesting his glory on Mount Sinai, here to the children of Israel, up on the mountain, and, and uh, what a glorious sight that... Uh, it would have been to have the presence of God up on the top of the mountain and being there below as, uh, in relation to the children of Israel beholding such a sight. And more than that, uh, Moses himself, uh, he walks up into the top of the mountain into the very presence and glory of God. Now we look at that and that is so glorious. But you see, we're not going to do it now, but as you track through the scriptures, it gets even more glorious. Amen? You think it's glorious for Moses. It's more glorious for the believer. And so, but we, we see it and we identify it here in the scripture. But again, this glory had been lost and now on the mountain, God is revealing himself. He is manifesting his presence and his person. And so when we look at this, our very first thoughts are, what a wonderful sight to behold. And it is. You know, the word glory here, it speaks of the splendour of God. If we were to define the glory of God. It speaks, it speaks a number of things and we're going to look at it in the context of which it's revealed here. But when we think of the glory of God, we just think of it sometimes as one dimensional in the fact that we think of the splendour of God. You know, God is light. And we see manifestations in the, in, in the Bible and, and uh, you know, where Jesus was transfigured and he became bright as white and light. And so we know that there's that glorious aspect that's associated with the presence of God. But you see, though incorporated into the meaning of the word glory, the, uh, here as it's being, this word glory in our text is, also has a, a further deeper meaning and it's that meaning that I want us to touch upon and identify with because the primary root by which this word glory derives itself, it actually comes and means to be heavy, to be weighty. So what does that mean? So when the word glory is being used, in what context is, is it being communicated to us? And so, like I said, it comes from a root word meaning to be heavy or to be burdensome. 
And this is used in the good sense because, you see, when we see the glory of God, when we see God, amen, we are to be, uh, it is to be so heavy upon our hearts that we esteem him so highly because uh, he is God. As uh, uh, Sam read earlier, that God would put, in through Jeremiah, that God would put the fear of God in their hearts that he would be heavy, that they would esteem him in honour in honor, and he would be exalted and he would be uh, uh, reverenced in the manner in which he should be. You see, to be, to, to, so that when we consider the glory of God, for us it is to something that we are to, to, to exalt, to honour. It's not something that's to be treated lightly. It's not something that we just, ah, oh, and we take no consideration for. We worship God. We are in the glory of God. And when you are in the presence of the King, amen, you conduct yourself as you ought to conduct yourself. You don't uh, uh, carry on in the front of the King, amen. There is, a, there is etiquette, there is posture, there is, a, uh, uh, there is a manner in which we are to esteem such. And so when we consider God and the glory of God, the glory of God is to weigh upon us in such a way that when we see God, we exalt him as such. Because God help us if the fear of God is not in us. In actual fact, uh, just previously in chapter 20, when God is giving Moses the commandments, he says, uh, listen to what it says in verse 18, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar. You know, then to say, oh, you know, and then, then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you and that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off and Moses drew near. See, when, because uh, in a sense, God's saying, I'm putting the fear of God in you, that you would esteem my, me and my person and in my presence. You would hold me in such esteem, in such respect. And so, in this instance, we're considering the glory of God. But you see, also, the glory of God, as defined for us in Scripture, is also seen in the self-disclosure or self-revelation of God's nature and his person to us. So we talk about his presence, but it goes beyond his presence. It, it's, we're talking about, when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about his person. And to see the glory of God is to have a knowledge of God, to understand God, to comprehend God, to understand him and his ways. And so we're talking about his attributes, his character, his holiness, his person. God is God. He is Almighty God. And He is separate, amen, from us. He is exalted on high. And so what we have is this God who desires to reveal Himself to us. See, this is why God has come on the mountain. This is why God has taken Israel in the covenant. And now He's bringing them out of Egypt and He is bringing a self-disclosure because when Moses meets Him, He says, well, who do I say to the children of Israel? You are. Who are you? And, he, and so, because they don't have a revelation. And so here Mo Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and he's bringing a revelation of himself to 
the people and to the nation of Israel. And so, they are, or in other words, they are seeing the glory of God. But you know, Israel had already seen the glory of God. They already had seen his attributes. You know why? Because when they were in Egypt, they saw the judgments of God upon Egypt. See, this was another revelation of God's glory, was through his judgment and through his wrath being poured out on Egypt. In Psalm 9, the Bible says, the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. And so, in other words, God's glory is also seen, uh, and the sinner will be, because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God. You see, because, and even the sinner in his uh, hatred will be brought to such a place. And, uh, and yet, so the Lord is known by the judgments he executes. You read in the Bible through the prophets in the book of Revelation, there's coming a time when God's wrath will be poured out and they will see the glory of God. But that's not how we want to see the glory of God. Amen. And that's not how we see the glory of God. But I'm saying God's glory can be manifested in, by various means and in various ways. <clears throat> We beheld his glory. You see, Israel in our text is beholding the glory of God. But more than that, Moses himself is, uh, is um, beholding the glory of God in a, in, a, in a different way to the children of Israel because Moses, the Bible says, would speak to God face to face. Moses is going up into the mount, into the cloud, into the very presence of God while the children of Israel are down below. But nevertheless, they are seeing his glory. Now, you've got to understand, they're seeing it in a, way, in a way and a manner that they have never seen or known God before. So in verse 15, it says, that Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Picture that. A cloud covered the mountain. Now, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. See, so the, the cloud is symbolic of God's presence and the glory of God associated with that presence rests on Mount Sinai. And the Bible says the cloud covered it for six days. Could you picture that? Just this, the presence of God, the cloud is sitting there up on the mountain for six days. They're just observing it. They're observing the presence of God, his glory, then it says, the sight of the glory of the Lord, actually, actually it says on the, on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Seven, on the seventh day he called Moses to himself. But then in verse 16 it says, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, uh, sorry, 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. You see, Moses knew what it was to see God in a burning bush. The Bible says Israel saw God as a consuming fire on top of that mount. The presence of God and the glory of God was such. Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that we are not a Mount Sinai, amen. We've come to Mount Zion. And in the new covenant, praise the Lord, and we'll touch on more of this next week, but you see we are in a, a more glorious place than Israel was. And more than that, um, what, we, we, what we see here in Hebrews 12 talks about there, that, and it says, uh, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God in Hebrews. It talks about this heaviness 
You know, it talks about the glory of God in such a way that it is to be heavy upon our hearts. And then it talks about that our God is a consuming fire. And you see, when, in the same way he reveals himself to Israel, we are likewise in contact with God as Christians and as children of God as we are here. And God has not changed. Amen. He's the same. And our God is a consuming fire. And we behold his glory. Hallelujah. But you see, Israel is seeing the glory of God and it is being compared to a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. But in verse 18, the scripture says, Moses went into the midst of the cloud and he went up onto the mountain and Moses was there for 40 days and for 40 nights. You see, there are various truths that we can look at. But above all things, what we're seeing here is the desire and intent of God to commune with men. See, God has a desire to that which was lost in the garden. God has an intent and a plan and a purpose to bring about a restoration. And what we're seeing here is a step towards that. We're seeing a, we're seeing a manifestation of God's glory. But you see, it's only in, instructive and indicative of something else and something much more that is to come. But to see it here revealed in this instance and in this way is to show us uh, the, the glory of God, that he is God. So it's instructive. It teaches us in what way. We see God's ultimate... Oh, well, let me ask you this question. Was God's ultimate plan to reveal his glory only to Israel? No. Not at all. Because that, but Israel was chosen by God as Brother Sam has pointed out in the covenants, ultimately to bring forth the Christ and for salvation that we would become partakers of and we would be grafted in through the nation of Israel. The Gentiles would come into contact and fellowship with God. But you see, we're looking at it in the context of establishing the glory of God upon the earth and in the hearts of men. You see... Out of this experience, we can read on. Actually, you can turn to Exodus chapter 40 if you just move forward. And what you begin to see is God beginning to build on this concept of his glory and his presence and his person being manifested and his desire and his intent to fellowship and commune with men. Because what we find is here we know that Moses in this instance is going straight up into the mountain and he is in the cloud, he is in the glory and presence of God and he's talking with God. But we find that on the mountain God gives Moses instruction. He gives him a, a, a blueprint of a tabernacle that he wants him to build because God's intention is to dwell amongst the children of Israel. The tabernacle means to dwell so God's desire is to dwell amongst the children of Israel. And so Moses receives the instructions, he receives the blueprint and they build and establish the tabernacle and once it is set up, once it has been established, look at what happens in Exodus 40 verse 34. Then the cloud, there's the cloud again, the presence of God, the glory of God, covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord 
fill the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you picture that? Now it's not on a mountain. It's not up there, distant. Now it is amongst the people, the tabernacle. Now the glory of God is in the tabernacle. The presence of God is amongst the people. Not in them yet, but amongst them. And so you have, uh, you see this progressive aspect that we can identify. But this picture, them seeing the, the, the glory of God now in their midst and so close to them. And it says that when, verse 36, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel will go onward all of their journeys and, and vice versa. But that cloud was with them always as the tabernacle was there throughout all their journeys it says in the scripture. But again, we identify the glory of God. The glory of God. Could you imagine that they couldn't even enter that place? They couldn't enter into that presence, but they saw the cloud, they saw the glory, they saw the presence of God in such a way that they were beholding his glory. (coughs) But then we get another picture in 2 Chronicles that relates now to the temple. If you can turn there. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And so this is where we have Solomon. Solomon is building now a temple, not a tent as a tabernacle, but now he's building a temple. And in doing so, having completed it and having had it finished, he's now dedicating it. And in chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, Listen to the scripture. It says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Again, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord. Amen. Can you just picture their reaction? Again, God is filling the temple. The, The glory of God is so strong and so powerful and so manifest. They're beholding this. And the scripture says, again, that they can't enter because of this but yet when they see the glory of God and they see the fire of God that is coming down uh, the, uh, the Bible says they bow their faces to the pavement <laughs> think about that see the glory of God was heavy it was esteemed when God came down everyone got in order everyone <laughs> on your face before God amen because when, when the glory of God is seen, when the glory of God is manifested this, and, uh, and it is heavy and weighty upon us, then we will have a same disposition. I mean, think of Isaiah the prophet. Uh, when he saw the glory of God in the temple, what did he do? He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. 
Or we have another example in the scripture of Job in which we see him in his self-justification and over that process and all that time and then God comes on the scene, questions him, speaks to him and then Job, when he sees the glory of God and when he hears the self, and he gets a revelation of God, when God speaks to him, then Job says, uh, I abhor myself. And he would have bowed down and exalted the Lord. Or even John himself. See, John was a man that we read his Gospels, we know that he leant on Jesus' breast at the supper. He had sweet fellowship with the Lord. But in Revelations, when he saw Jesus in his glorified state, he fell down as one dead. Because it's heavy. Heavy. And when we see the glory of God, when we are in touch with God on on this basis, amen, it brings sobering reality to who God is and who we are. And he is glorious. Hallelujah. You see, we see it there in Isaiah, we see it in Job, we see it in John. And then we can turn to Jesus Christ himself as we already identified. But remember in John 1.14, the Bible says this, the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacled. It comes from the root word tabernacled, to dwell. So now God's not in the tabernacle of tent, the tent of meeting as he was with Israel. Now the glory of God is in Christ. God himself has manifested and is in the flesh. And we beheld his glory. And so you could picture that, they, that God now is dwelling and is manifested in Christ, incarnated. God has become a man. And Christ Jesus, is the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us for a season. God walked the earth in Christ Jesus. And we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then, not only did they see Jesus physically, but we know that there was Peter, James and John that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw him in his full glory. Amen. And, they, and he was transfigured before him and his clothes came white, glistening, and a light, a glory that manifested out of him and through him and around him. Hallelujah. And they were overwhelmed by such a sight and such an experience. And we read about it. The glory of God. But you see, does it end there? Oh no, amen. Let's turn to John chapter 17. Gospel of John chapter 17. Now we want to read from verse 1 to 5. The Bible says Jesus spoke these words. This is Jesus' prayer. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. And you have given him authority over uh, all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
See, to know the glory of God is to, to know, experience the glory of God, to see the glory of God is to know God. It is a self-revelation of God. It's God revealing himself to us. That's why Jesus said eternal life is not just living forever. That's one aspect of it. Eternal life is to know God, to understand who he is, to understand his plan and his purpose, to know him, not know about him, but to know him in a personal relationship because the purpose of God is to dwell with men. This is the whole basis of the new covenant. He didn't, now, we, he, God's glory is being manifested in, um, uh, on the mountain in our text. Then it's tabernacled amongst the children of Israel. Then, amen, we see the fullness of this in Christ and it transcends, hallelujah, to the believer. And let's read, oh, actually, let's read verse 4 of John 17. I have glorified you on the earth, Again, he has made God known. That's what Jesus is saying. I have revealed you. I have demonstrated you. I've spoken of you. I've shown all men. And he says, I've glorified you on the earth and have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and that the glory which I had with you before the world was. Can you imagine what are the words that Jesus is speaking here? We can't comprehend this. We can read it and say, look how sweet it sounds, but Jesus is referring to uh, uh, this, this, this glory and when he says, I'll glorify, you, glorify the Father, glorify me and with the glory in which we had together before the world was. How sweet, how wonderful. But you see, it gets better than that because go down to verse 22. And the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one as we are one. Now, we are being brought into. This is what born again is all about, amen. The new birth is coming, being born of God. We are, uh, we are now in him, in Christ. We can, this is the prayer, that we may be one with him and we become partakers of the divine nature and we become partakers of his glory. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we as one. I, verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also who, whom you gave me may be with me and where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Listen to those words that they may behold my glory. See, to know God, to see God, to experience God is to behold his glory. Amen. And this, as we will see, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself because time doesn't permit but with this is you can see where we're going to go. But I just want to dwell on the purpose of God. We will consider in, in a much more fuller way um, how this extends to the new covenant because this is what Jesus is introducing, a new covenant that we are going to become partakers of the glory. More than that, the glory will dwell in us. 
Think about that. That is so glorious. <laughs> How else can you describe it? Words don't describe it, do they? It's just too, too much to fathom and to, to understand. But nevertheless, it is real. And that glory of God is intended to us. And we will see the intention and purpose of God in that. But you know, it doesn't end there. Because as the glory, amen, continues to be manifested and perfected and become more in its fullness. Because we as Christians, we become partakers of the divine nature, which we will consider next week. But you see, we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We will step into a greater dimension of his glory, a greater dimension of his fullness. And so the glory will go to another level, level, amen. And so this is where the glory of God relates to us and how uh, in our fellowship with the Lord and our and in our, and spending eternity with God. But you see the glory of God is also tied to the creation as well because God has a prophetic purpose for the earth. This is why we talk about the millennial reign of Christ. This is why we talk about the second coming. This is why we, when we look at the scriptures, we find that there's going to be a restoration uh, uh, in a degree of which God has intended since the fall and Christ will rule and reign from the throne of David in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. doesn't matter what the, the determination is today from the 70 nations. The nations rage, but he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And you're going you're gonna to divide the land? You're going to make determinations against Israel, against the, my city, Jerusalem? <laughs> God, God's will prevail, amen. And you see, and, but the glory is going to be manifested on the earth and there is a time coming when Christ returns and we have the millennial reign of Christ where the glory of God will be restored to some degree and in what, exactly what way, I couldn't tell you, but the lion shall lay with the lamb. There's got, nature will be changed. Something radical is going to take place. And above all, Habakkuk declares in chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Because God says, I'm going to make my glory known. I will be glorified. It will be manifest again. But you see, it still doesn't end their church. In Revelations, you can turn to Revelations chapter 21 because the glory of God will be manifested in the new Jerusalem. A new heavens and a new earth. But again, and, what we, and there's some unique words that we find here. Oh, we'll, we'll get to it and we'll read it. Revelations. Now, I'm going to read it a little bit, but stick with me because of what it teaches us. But verse 1 of chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, listen to this statement, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. A full restoration. Can you say amen? That which was in the garden will will then a full circle and will come back and the tabernacle of God will be with with men in such a way that when we look at the new Jerusalem we will see a, a, a full restoration of that fellowship where God is dwelling in his glory amongst his people. Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. We can read on. But I want you to go down to verse 22. I won't read all of that. You can read it in your own time. But read verse 22. This is talking about now, again, continuing on with the, the new Jerusalem. And it's speaking about the glory of this city. And in verse 22 it says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Think about that. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see... Again, we're talking about there's no, no need for us, the sun or the moon, but the glory of God, the presence of God illuminated. Can you imagine that? That's why when we look at the sun, when God created the sun, he was just, it's just bearing testimony to himself. But in, and and that, the glory of the sun is nothing compared to the glory that is of God and in him his life. Can you imagine all of that? And we're going to bask in that glory. We will live in that glory. And more than that, we will go, we're going to identify that if we're going to be partakers of that glory, if we're going to experience the ultimate glory, one, we obviously need to, people need to be saved. But you see, how much we, have we experienced the glory of God as Christians and our pilgrimage and our walk with God is dependent upon our faith and obedience to God. Okay, because we're being changed from glory to glory and there's other things that we want to look at and consider. But how much of this glory uh, we, become, we, we taste and become partakers of and experience is really dependent on how much you just draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Faith and obedience. Without faith it's impossible to please him. Enoch walked with God. You see, we can, each one can experience the glory of God in, its, in such a way if we will seek God, if we will draw near to God, if we will obey God and all of these things because they form part of that. 
as we will see as an example in Israel and as we will see as, as revealed in the New Testament. But more of that next week. But what is important for us to take from this is that if uh, we need to esteem the glory of God. The glory of God is something that is precious. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be treated with familiarity. But God is to be worshipped. He is to be honoured. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 35, the Bible says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. The wise shall inherit glory. And so our desire is to walk in wisdom, is to walk in the light, as we are exhorted and instructed to in the Scriptures. And so the wise will inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. And as the psalmist says, and I'm going to conclude with these two statements from Psalms, in Psalm 104, verse 31, the Bible says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. These are direct references to what we've, some of the things we've considered. I'll sing to the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked no more. Because our love and our passion and our desire for truth, for God, for his glory becomes so strong. Amen. May God be glorified and may the, the wicked be destroyed and may righteousness prevail, may truth prevail and may God, amen, sit on the throne in Jerusalem and may Jesus come back tomorrow. Actually, right now would be good. <laughs> may the glory of the Lord endure forever. Psalm 72 verse 18 says, blessed, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, verse 18 says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen and amen. That's right. And, so, and then it says, and the Psalms of David are ended. That's how the Psalms of David are ended. And so may the glory of God fill the earth. Hallelujah. And so... I pray that just this has been a snapshot and I've had to break it up rather than go for uh, way too long. But I just want us to smell the roses. I just want us to see the glory of God. I just want us to behold his glory and I want us to esteem him in such a way that he is reverenced, he is exalted, that the fear of God would be in our hearts, that we would, Lord, walk worthy before you that we would walk in a manner that is reverent, honourable, that we would pursue holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. If we're, going to be, if we're going to bask in that glory, if we're going to worship him in glory, then we have to treat him and esteem him as such. But if we live a life of obedience, disobedience and uncleanness, then all we're doing is we're tarnishing and the glory will depart. Ichabod, the, the glory departed from Israel. And same thing can happen, can't it? in the church and has happened and, it's not, and, and if we're not careful and if we're not mindful of our ways it can happen to any of us but we'll come back to that next week but I, I pray that we would just rejoice I will be glad the Psalm David says I will be glad 
I will rejoice. My meditation will be sweet. And as you smell the roses this morning, as you consider the glory of God, be rejoice in Him. Be thankful. Be filled with adoration and praise. Bless His holy name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for your goodness and grace. Lord, I thank you that your desire and intent, your plan and your purpose is revealed. Your glory has been manifested again and again and again. And that you desire to, to fellowship with men. Lord, thank you, God, for the cross. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that you have broken down that barrier of sin. Lord, that you have declared us righteous. You have put your spirit in our hearts. We are partakers of the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for what is, what we have now, and what is to come. Oh, God, may you be glorified. And may the glory of God endure forever. Amen.